This is hashtag history episode 116. That's right, right? Yeah. It is? Yes. Wait, 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 wait. We're not on 116. Yeah, we're on yeah, 116. We're 116. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. Somewhere in my mind, I, I actually, I'm not just doing this for the bit. I literally was like, <laughs> are we pa- are we up to 16 or was that supposed to say six? Yeah, okay. 16. Well, wow. Uh, welcome to episode 116. I'm Rachel. And I'm Leah. Okay. <laughs> All right. And we're here. Okay. I forgot how far we were into this podcast. Skipped a whole season. I did skip an entire season, truly. <laughs> By the time this episode comes out, we will be full on making our way into the winter months. And I mean, it feels like it. I know that us California girls always talk about how it's 100 plus degrees through October. Yes. But now that we're past Halloween, it, it's officially California version of freezing. Right. For me. Right. Personally. Yes. The fact that I woke up this morning and it was 39 degrees outside, I wanted to die. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, no snow, no weather conditions that make it so that you can't go outside. Right. A little frost. Uh, yeah. T- a touch of frost. Um, I will say that I stopped opening my window at night. That's a really big deal. That's a big deal for me. That, that speaks to how cold it is. Yeah. That's a big deal. Mm-hmm. So why, why do I even bring this up? It's because every four years with the winter months comes the winter Olympics. Oh. Now, I love the Olympics. We've talked about this yes. before, probably a hundred times. Yeah. Let me clarify. I love the Summer Olympics. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I feel like when it's the Summer Olympics, if you just flip on the channel to the Olympics... There's something interesting happening. There's something... Yeah, I can find something to enjoy. Whereas with the Winter Olympics, it's like really narrow right. for me. It's pretty much uh, speed skating. Okay. Figure skating. Okay. I think that's it. Really? Yeah. You don't Do- like the half pipe? Ew. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> or no. like the um skiing the downhill skiing no oh my gosh what, what's interesting about that other than watching them like almost break their knees their every nape, time their ankles are like yeah. just slowly pulverizing into <laughs> dust exactly no like i don't like that at all i do i i get the okay i get the not liking the downhill skiing but the half pipe come on uh, and they're the, like going john, sean white is going 100 feet up in the air i thought you just said john white i did oh <laughs> John White. John White. Like, Sean White. <laughs> yeah, Sean White. Um, no, I, I, I'm I, sorry. It's okay. Stan, it's fine. Speaking of figure skating, though, that is one of the few exceptions to my interest in the Winter Olympics. Yeah. And that's actually exactly what we're talking about this week. Sweet. This week, we will be discussing the 2002 Winter Olympics figure skating scandal, otherwise known as Skategate. I love it. I love it, too. <laughs> In 2002, at the Salt Lake City Winter Olympics, two ice skating couples, Russian pair Anton Sikorulidze and Elena Berzhnaya, and Canadian pair David Peltier and Jamie Sale, went head-to-head in the pair's ice skating competition. And while both pairs were incredible, it was noted that the Russian couple made a couple of technical flaws during their routine, including Anton not landing a double axle. Mm -hmm. And yet, when the final scores were read, to the international audience's surprise, the Russian couple won. Now, was it surprising that Russia won the ice skating competition? No. In fact, Russia had won this particular event at every Olympic Games since 1960. But 2002 was the first year it looked like another country stood a chance. When it came down to it, though, each country had their own set of judges voting for them, with only France in the middle as the swing vote. And that's when rumors began to swirl that perhaps Russia had bribed the French judge to vote for the Russian couple in a quid pro quo exchange. So was the French judge bribed by the Russians? That's what we will find out in this week's episode. But first... It takes no bribing whatsoever to get me to dive into this drink right in front of me. Sweet. It looks amazing. It's amazing. Okay. I'm Rachel. And I'm Leah. 
And this is Hashtag History, the podcast for both history nerds and history haters alike, where we dive into history's greatest stories of controversy, conspiracy, and corruption. Shout out to this week's cocktail sponsor, Janae, who asked us specifically to either do a dessert or a cocktail that could easily be made into a mocktail. Mm. And I live to please. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much, Janae. Yeah, thank you. So I chose today's mocktail because of its very close and very direct ties to today's story. (laughs) This is sarcasm. Yeah, I can see that. If if you couldn't hear that, I can see it. (laughs) No, actually, I wanted to find a way to tie in today's drink to the Canadian aspect of today's story. And what do we all know about Canada? Canada. (laughs) (laughs) What do we all know about Canada? Canada. It's the way you said the whole thing. And what do we all know about Canada? I don't know a thing about Canada. (laughs) Where is that? Um, With such like passion. Yeah, really such passion. Uh, What do we all know about Canada? It's cold. It's cold. I mean, okay, let me help you out. That's right, Rachel. (laughs) It's cold. (laughs) No, maple syrup. Yes. Obviously. I I wanted to say that, but I watched you put the drink together and I saw there was maple syrup in it. So I assumed that's where you were going with this. Yeah. So this week we are doing a maple mocktail. Oh, I'm so excited. So it contains one part cranberry juice, one part apple juice, and one part sparkling water or club soda. And then a half part lemon juice, a half part maple syrup, and then maple sugar to garnish, and then a cinnamon stick to garnish. It's gorgeous. Uh, This was found on food.com. So thanks to food.com. Thank you for that. And for anybody who is interested in making it not a mocktail and Mm. a real cocktail with uh, alcohol in it, I personally think that whiskey or bourbon would go well in it. Yeah, I agree. We'll give it a taste and, and let you know what we think. Yeah, I'm really excited. Cheers. Cheers. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, I do think whiskey would go in that. Very folly. Very fall, but I feel like fall drinks, as much as I love them, aren't necessarily refreshing. This is refreshing, too. Absolutely. This is so good. I love this. Stunning. Oh, stunning. I might just sit here and drink this the whole time. It tastes That's like fine. drinking delicious water. I mean, And by that, I just mean that it's very refreshing. It's cold. It goes down really easily. Yeah. I love it. I will be able to drink it very quickly. That's yeah. for sure. R- rating. I think I'm going to go all the way up to a nine just yeah. because I I think it has all the best flavors in it in perfect quantities. If you did put alcohol in it, do you I think, think you're right. still whiskey. like it? With, okay. Yeah, with whiskey. With I whiskey. think so. Mm-hmm. It'd give it just a little bit more spice. A little spice. Add a little spice. Spicy. Why so spicy? <laughs> I love it. Cool. Well, thanks, food.com. Yes, thanks, food.com. And Thank Janae. you. And thanks to Janae. Yeah. Thank you so much. So I want to highlight a specific source that I used in putting together the research for this episode. There's a really great documentary called Meddling that is all about this scandal. Meddling, however, 
is on Peacock. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't have Peacock. Mm-hmm. So my wonderful co-host here, Leah, who does have a Peacock subscription, let me take up a full Saturday on her couch so that I could watch the whole thing <laughs> beyond just the free trial first episode that I could watch on my end. Mm-hmm. Um, because you watched this documentary along with me, right. I'm really excited to be exploring this topic today because I feel like you can jump in totally there and fill in any details that I may have missed or any particular components that just really stood out to you. Yeah, and I'd like to clarify too mm. that I was, I didn't just let you sit on my couch. <laughs> I didn't just I rent was, the couch. You were right. also there. Yeah, I was I, also there munching on munching on food. Yeah. Uh, Jack in the box, obviously. Obviously. You're right. I should clarify that it wasn't just like I rented <laughs> your couch on my for couch. a day. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. But I do appreciate the subscription. Thank you. Yes. And actually, I'm another thing I'd like to clarify is I mm. would never pay for a Peacock subscription. I have it for free. So. Oh, thank you for clarifying that. Those are important. I, I don't want to be judged too harshly. <laughs> They're like, oh, yeah, I, I agree with you. That is a good clarification right up top. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, one other thing that I want to mention right up top Typically, when we are covering people in history, it's common for me to refer to them by last name only. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately for me, and unfortunately for our listening audience, uh, many of the people in the story have Russian names, and I unfortunately do not speak Russian, nor am I skilled enough to figure out the correct pronunciation and to use it consistently throughout Mm -hmm. the episode. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I really, really did try. I watched about a million YouTube videos to learn how to pronounce all the names. And I just, I could not nail it. So I think I would do better justice to everyone in the story to refer to them by their first names, which I can pronounce, Uh (laughs) as opposed to doing them all an embarrassing disservice by poorly pronouncing their last names. So that's just a heads up. Yeah. Okay. No, I think you did great at that one time pronouncing it. Now it's just David. (laughs) Now it is David and Anton. Right. (laughs) And nothing further. Right. And truly my apologies already on the one time that I did pronounce the last names, because I'm sure they were incorrect also in the intro (laughs) like i mentioned in the introduction there was always a lot of expectation and pressure behind the russian figure skating pairs team because of their long-standing success in the sport but in 2002 this was the first time that there was additional hype surrounding the event because for the first time in a long time there were two sets of skaters that were quote equally balanced in terms of their material unquote Scott Hamilton, whom all of us figure skating viewers know as the 1984 men's gold medalist and Olympic commentator, said of this, quote, It was exciting. We weren't rooting against anyone. It was just the excitement that pair skating had gotten to that level outside Russia where now it was going to be really competitive, unquote. Now, before we dive into the Russian couple, let's first talk about the Canadian couple. The female skater, Jamie Saleh, is... According to her Wikipedia page, quote, a former competitive pair skater and a current motivational speaker and conspiracy theorist, unquote. Nice. Yeah. So we hate that. We hate that for her. We hate that for her and for us, (laughs) really. Uh For all of us as a collective group. Right. Since the 2020 coronavirus pandemic, she has reshared several fake news articles, referred to children wearing face masks as child abuse, and referred to vaccine mandates as medical rape. Um... Not a, not a fan. Yeah, so I just that. had to get that out of the way before we dive into her story. Right. We're we're that that's all we're going to mention about her. Uh, Is it maybe? <laughs> it's mostly it's mostly all I'm going to say about right. that. But since her Wikipedia page quite literally in the first sentence describes her as a conspiracy theorist, had to knock that right on out. Yeah. 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 Given the typical climate and temperature of Canada, it's no surprise that a lot of people there skate. 
And Jamie was no exception. She began skating as young as two years old. And like many future professional athletes, her mom worked two to three jobs at a time to finance Jamie's athletic talents and prospects. And she was really talented. In 1994, when she was still only a teenager, she won the short program at the Canadian Championships and ended up winning bronze overall in the junior ladies category. Yeah. And I know that like you talked about how like Russia was known up until this point as being like the leader Mm -hmm, of figure mm -hmm. skating. But like Canada was not far behind them. Totally. A very winter sport geared Mm -hmm. country. Country. Yeah. So. Definitely. Yeah, I I appreciate that you said that. It's not like... It's not like the Jamaican bobsled team, right? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. I was going to say, it's not that there was never any competition. It's just that the Russians had established such a tradition. Right. And for them, it's different. Like, it's just different. These kids in Russia were designated as young kids. Like, you are going to be a professional athlete. Here's the sport you're going to be trained in. This is your job now. As, mm-hmm. like, a five-year-old kid, your job is to become a professional ice skater. Right. That's not to say that other countries don't take it seriously, but it's just kind of different. And I, I appreciate that you said that because, yeah, Canada is also a very successful Olympic country and is very involved in winter sports. Right. Jamie would also win bronze in her pairs competition with her then partner, Jason Turner. And because of this achievement, they were placed on the 1994 Canadian Olympic team where they would go on to take 12th place at the Olympic Games. So kind of speaking to what you just said, 12th place is not something to sneeze at. It's not first place, but 12th place at the Olympic Games is pretty amazing. Especially as a teenager. A teenager. Yeah. Jamie kind of went back and forth between attempting to compete in single skating and pair skating before finally figuring that pairs was really her strong suit. And I think, Leah, you and I, having been involved in the dance world for a very long time, I this is going to make us very old sounding. Okay. <sighs> but I'm, I figured out between the two of us, it's like a combined four plus decades no. of dance world experience. Mm. I, I know you don't want to acknowledge that. Four plus decades between the two of us. Yeah. Anywho, uh, moving on. Uh, did that hurt? I don't. <laughs> You're now not going to speak to me. Thank you. <laughs> but I think because of that history that we have, you and I can totally speak to the fact that sometimes your dance skills, though they be great, don't necessarily translate right. well into all dance types. Absolutely. I yeah. can say that very heavily for very myself. confidently. Yes. Confidently for myself. You've choreographed how many tap pieces? Have I ever been in one? No. no. Have, well, no, <laughs> you're like, no, you didn't make it past the audition. No, I didn't even mean to say it like that. Like, how dare you not select me? I haven't. No, I, know. I don't I want to be in it. it. And you've I wasn't never, taking it that way. Yeah, you've never like expressed any interest in I, tap. Or... I took tap for like one year when yeah. I was eight years old. I love tap. I think tap is amazing. You know, just because I'm in the dance world world doesn't mean I'm skilled in tap, right. for example. And that goes for all the different areas of dance. Mm-hmm. Again, you know, if a competition winning soloist dancer, that doesn't mean that they're an equally amazing partner right. dancer yeah, and vice versa. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's a lot of what was happening here with Jamie. It's always so interesting to see how you can have such strengths in some areas and then not so much in others. Mm-hmm. She decided to hone in on pair skating. And that was when she met fellow skater David Peltier. And found that, according to Jamie, quote, the first time we grabbed hands, it was just great, unquote, which that's sweet. And they do they do say that a lot about one another. They literally refer to each other as um, soulmates on ice. Yeah. Like they were like, they just they just worked together. Yeah. For David, pair skating was it for him. There was no other kind of skating he wanted to do because as a kid, he considered figure skating to be a quote unquote girl sport. 
But once he saw pair skating on TV and saw the way these manly men could flip and twirl women in the air while balancing on ice, he told his mom that the only way he would continue figure skating was if it was pair skating. And I actually think for men even more so than the women in pair skating, Mm -hmm. I could see how like you might only be able to be a pair skater oh, yeah. because like the, the men are, are they're the base. They're the support, s- the support, the strength mm-hmm. in pair skating. Whereas like, if you're going out there on the ice by yourself, you have to do all the, all oh, yeah. these tricks and these turns and stuff that they're not necessarily doing as a partner. Definitely. So from my naive perspective and what I mean by that is that I have no figure skating experience whatsoever. In fact, I have almost no ice skating experience. Yeah. I can um, count on one hand how many times I've gone ice skating. I, can count on one hand because it was one time yeah. uh, and it was horrible. It was horrible. It was horrible. Oh. I didn't. It was horrible. It was with a youth group. I had a crush on so several of the go. guys. Yeah. Youth group. I had to go. You kept falling. <sighs> you Were you so embarrassed? I, Did you use one of the walkers? <laughs> I didn't use one of the walkers, but I remember thinking in my mind, mm-hmm. not that I'm going to be like amazing at this, but like I have strong ankles. Yeah. I oh yeah. I watched and, and I went roller skating weekly as a preteen or whatever. I did a lot of roller skating too. You, it doesn't it doesn't r- roll over. It, it doesn't does not translate. Translate, thank you. Yeah. At all. Not at all. I walked on the sides of my skates. Yeah. Like I couldn't balance on the blades. That's really embarrassing. That's actually surprising that especially because you have such strong ankles I, as a I, dancer. This is when I was in high school. Which and so you had like, already been on point. I was on point. Yeah. You have strong ankles and you could And I was walking on the skates. sides of my skates. <laughs> it's really embarrassing. It's it was funny. at the downtown rink. Yeah. Oh god, it's, it's funny. It wasn't funny, but thanks for No, it was probably funny. I, no, it was horrible. <laughs> it was horrible. Uh let's just say that uh crushes were not reciprocated after that evening. Right. Let me just say that. Uh anyway. Who, <laughs> now that you all know uh, my severe lack in figure skating experience, mm-hmm. I will say that when I've watched these two, Jamie and David, skate together, they really do move very seamlessly. Mm-hmm. They, they move in sync, and it's really pretty amazing to watch. Mm-hmm. 1999 is when things really changed for them. They brought on choreographer Lori Nichol, who put together a long program piece for them that was set to music from the 1970s movie Love Story. And this program killed it they would win a number of competitions with this piece namely in 1999 when they beat the two-time world champions and olympic silver medalist russian couple elena and anton at skate america this would be the first time the world would come to the realization that russia actually had some competition in this field that they had dominated for decades Later in 2000, the Canadian couple would set a record when they would become the first pair ever to earn five 6.0 marks for presentation at the Canadian Figure Skating Championships. They would go on to get gold at the Four Continents Championships in Japan and third at the 2000 World Championships in France. As they started trying to do bigger and bolder things, it all started to slip for them a bit and they weren't doing as well, including losing to Elena and Anton in 2001 at a competition. Mm -hmm. And so they decided to bring back their tried and true love story piece, which would win them the Grand Prix final and later the 2001 World Championships. That, oh, bringing back that same old choreography, I I understand it, but I'm also like, a little like is that even should that even be allowed should you just be able to go and do the same thing over and over again year after year just because you're good at it yeah i don't know what the rules were then or if they've changed it all now i feel similar to you in that because i i've been in that position before where we have performed like a piece a dance piece 
multiple times. Yeah. And I remember feeling that way as a kid. Like, is this fair? We've literally done this a hundred times. Yeah. Especially in, in this stage, I feel like it's like, okay, everybody else had to learn a new dance. Mm-hmm. Other people are putting forth new pieces. Yeah. And you're just focusing on mm-hmm. everything else other than learning a new I agree with you completely. Yeah. The other reason why they kept repeating this piece, and I'll talk about this more a little later, wasn't just because they knew the piece so well and they performed it so well. There was a connection with the audience, which again, I I know what you're saying is like, then pick another song that people, the audience can connect with. I think they just got a really good response from the audience and then they just kept going with it. Now, naturally, all of these accomplishments slated this Canadian pair for the 2002 Winter Olympics in Salt Lake City, and they were quickly becoming a fan favorite, particularly amongst the Western audiences. Okay, now let's shift gears to the Russian couple, whom we've already mentioned a few times. Elena Berezhnaya was born in 1977, meaning that she was born in the Soviet Union. She began skating at a very young age as well, when she was only four years old. She was persuaded early on by a coach to make the switch from singles to pairs. And when she was 14 years old, she was paired up with skater Oleg Shlyakov, who um, (laughs) had gone through seven partners in seven years before getting to her. Not good. Not good at all. There had long been rumors that Oleg was mentally and physically abusive toward his partners. And this unfortunately rang true in his partnership with Elena as well. There were even witnesses to an instance in which he punched her in the back so hard while they were on the ice that she fell to the ground and then he takes off and others had to literally come to her rescue to get her up off of the ice. Yeah. He would drop her from lifts. He would blame her for anything and everything that went wrong. It was a horribly toxic partnership. They struggled to find a coach for a long time, given Oleg's horrendous reputation, but they eventually landed a very well-known and very accomplished Russian pair skating coach, Tamara Moskvina, in 1995. Who was She was like a little firecracker. She really was. Um, when we watched this documentary, I think you and I said back and forth to each other, like, she seems like a very untrustworthy person, but you also still like her. Yes, <laughs> Like absolutely. one of those weird, likable people, but you would never trust them. Yes, it's it's what it's a weird dichotomy. Yeah. Tamara encouraged Oleg to go to a mental hospital and even had him speaking regularly with psychologists, but his behavior did not improve and things took a near fatal turn on January 9th, 1996. While rehearsing together, Elena and Oleg were doing a side-by-side camel spin. Yeah. And if you're not familiar with dance or figure skating, I'm going to do my best to describe this to where I think you all will be like, oh, yeah, 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 I know what you're talking about. Because yes. we've all seen it. If you've seen pair skating, you know what I'm talking about. Even if you haven't seen pair skating, they do it in single skating, too. If you've seen figure skating, you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, so for all of our dancers out there, think of it like a parallel arabesque. Mm-hmm. And for anyone that doesn't know what that means, <laughs> <laughs> it's the move where the skater is standing on one leg with the other leg extended outward behind them. And then their body is kind of like in a straight line. They're mm-hmm. kind of leaned down in a straight parallel line. to the ground. Yes. Oftentimes you see pair skaters performing this move side by side in perfect synchronization. And it's really, really important that this is performed in perfect synchronization because if not synced correctly and if not spaced apart correctly, you could hit the other person in the head with your extended back leg. Which high has a blade on the end of it. It has an incredibly, incredibly sharp blade Mm -hmm. on the end of it. And that is exactly what happened here. Oleg's skate collided so severely with Elena's head that his blade actually sliced through her skull. That's scary how sharp these things are. And with what force he hit her with. Yes. The top of her skull had to be quite literally removed and stitched back on. Oh my God. 
This injury led to partial paralysis of her right side, and she was unable to speak for a period of time. And this is incredibly scary for anyone, Mm -hmm. but particularly scary for a professional athlete when the world championship was only one month out. Right. A friend that Elena had made through the ice skating circuit, Anton, came to visit her as she recovered from this life-changing injury, and she actually credits him with saving her. She said, quote, Anton so tenderly cared about me, perhaps it was his belief in me that helped me recover so quickly, unquote. Elena took this opportunity to officially remove herself from her partnership with Oleg, and she and her mom, her coach Tamara, and Anton all brought her back to St. Petersburg, where they nursed her back to health. (laughs) Remarkably, only two months after her injury, she was back on the ice alongside Anton. It's truly unbelievable, but by November of that year, the two of them were competing together, winning bronze and silver in different competitions. And let's just remember, a chunk of her skull got taken off. Yeah, and she was paralyzed. Yes. She couldn't speak. So this is very impressive. It's unbelievably impressive. Yeah. They won gold at the 1998 World Championships. They won the 1998 Skate America. They won the 1998 NHK Trophy. They won their second world title at the 1999 World Championships. They won Skate Canada in 1999. They won gold at the 2000 Europeans. Although this title would later be stripped after Elena tested positive for a banned substance. Russia, am I right? (laughs) (laughs) We just look each other like, am I right? I mean, the list goes on and on. Elena and Anton quite literally became what other pair skaters refer to as the standard. Or what we would today refer to as the goat. The go- Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. The goat. And this is where we are in the lead up to the 2002 Winter Olympics. Hey everyone, Rachel here. And you all know that Leah and I both love to read. You also know though that we are busy, 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 busy all the time between full-time jobs, a side podcast gig, other everyday responsibilities. It can be super hard to find the time to read. And that's why we have been super enjoying Audible. Audible is the leading provider in spoken word entertainment and audiobooks. They have titles ranging from news, self-development, business, fiction, and more. Not only do they have audiobooks, though, they also have podcasts, wellness guidance programs, and more. The best thing about Audible is that you can download titles to listen to offline, anytime, anywhere, across all devices without losing your spot. And Audible has thousands of titles for you to choose from. The one I am currently listening to on Audible is Lincoln's Last Trial, the murder case that propelled him to the presidency. If you would also like to try out Audible, you can do so with a free 30-day trial now when you use our link at www.audibletrial.com slash hashtag history. Once again, that is www.audibletrial.com slash hashtag history. Thanks. Prior to the Olympics, the Russians were slated to be the favorite simply because of tradition, but the Canadian couple had actually slowly become the favorite of Americans, and so they were particularly popular in Salt Lake City. 
I can't even imagine the pressure the Russian team must have felt to maintain a decades-long tradition, especially in this climate where they, for the first time in decades, actually had some legitimate competition. Mm -hmm. Before we dive into the competition, I think let's first talk about the way that figure skating was judged at this time. Right. It's called the 6.0 system, and it was the judging system established essentially from the beginning of the competitive sport. This scoring system is one that was unique to figure skating and became highly controversial over time, particularly after this skating scandal that we're talking about today. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about this briefly before when we covered Tanya Harding on the podcast a million years ago. Ugh. Figure skating, creative athletics in general, are subjective. A hundred percent. I mean, you can demonstrate that you have the skills and can land a triple axle. But if the judges don't like or connect with your choreography or your theme or your expression, what you're wearing, what what, you're like, what your face is doing, anything, anything, you can get marked down for that. And I think, again, you and I coming from dance backgrounds, I mean, there can be like you can be watching a dance where they're doing triple pirouettes back to back to back. Mm -hmm. But if if the choreography doesn't really flow very well, you don't really like the song. They look like they're annoyed the whole time or something that whether it's fair or not can really mark someone down. Yeah, totally. So the way that these scores worked were as follows. Zero, you would get a zero if you just like didn't show up. (laughs) A zero is for not skating at all. One was for very poor. Two was for poor. Three was for mediocre. Four was for good. Five was for very good. And six was for outstanding. Mm Mm-hmm. The judges would give two marks for the short program and two marks for the long program, also called the free skate. One mark would be a technical mark and the other would be a presentation mark. This 6.0 system was incredibly inconsistent without any true standards and didn't allow feedback or growth, really. If you got a lower score, you didn't always know why and could therefore not really reflect and improve upon it. Judges also would often not compare skaters to one another when creating the scores and would even sometimes forget how they had judged previous skaters. There was a tendency to give lower scores to skaters that skated earlier in the competition so that judges could essentially like save up their greater points for later skaters, making the order of performance actually a really big deal. This is what I hate about... um... What, have you ever been on like an interview panel and you have to mm, like score mm-hmm, mm-hmm. people's answers? And yeah. I'm always like, I want to make sure I'm being fair yes. to the first person, the last person, all the people in between, oh. because it's totally true. I do find myself like comparing yeah. or, or not sometimes not comparing and, and like giving them based on order. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which isn't necessarily fair. No, I felt that way too. When you're sitting on a panel, you're you're having six interviews in one day. Yeah. I, you remember the first person and the last person the most, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Unless there's someone in the middle that just like crazy stands out to you. Right. I've, I've been on many a panel and it, it's unfair, but it's really difficult to like fairly judge people when you're watching them back to back to back to back. Right. Order does matter. Mm-hmm. So keep all of that in mind as we discuss the performance of both the Canadian team and the Russian team. During the short program, you know, actually, this is something I didn't put in my notes and I just realized this happened before they even do their performances. Oh, they hit each other. Exactly. Yeah, I forgot this this whole competition actually kind of started on a weird foot. Right. Um, because during the like practice warm up, mm-hmm. yeah, um, Jamie from the female from the Canadian team and Anton, the uh, male partner from the Russian team, they actually end up colliding with each other on the ice. Yeah. It, it appears unintentional. Yeah. They, and they like Jamie 
didn't seem all that sorry but An- yeah. Anton was like very oh, trying to help her up mm-hmm. like oh my gosh I'm so sorry um and it just like fed the fire yeah. and the fuel of like oh they're against each other uh-huh. it was it was kind of unfortunate to see happen especially if it was an accident because yeah. like like a true accident because it was just like of, of course they hit each other of all people of all the people yeah and like oh now they're really have it out for each definitely. other definitely I think definitely I think public perception was that way yeah and even for them, like, even if they both knew it was on accident, they both were super flustered by it. Like, yeah. it did throw things off. Yes. I mean, and they collided pretty hard. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, they I, they weren't injured by it, but I could see it, like, knocking the air out of them. Yeah. Definitely messing with their psyche. Yep. For sure. Now, during the short program, Jamie and David fell out of their final pose. I've seen their performance, and it actually... It's really comical to me. I'm sure not to them uh, (laughs) that they perform this amazing routine. They land in their final pose. They look stable for like half a second and then they just go down. Like they literally fall down onto the ice. Yeah. This isn't that big of a deal. It didn't actually result in a deduction since they had already completed all of the required components of the program. But either way, Elena and Anton would perform better and would end up winning this round. Jamie and David would end up getting second, and this was totally fine. They weren't worried about it. As long as you make it in the top three of the short program, you get to move on to the next component of the competition. Mm -hmm. And then came the long program. Uh When coming out of a double axle, Anton very minorly slipped. I mean, you've watched it, Leah. What... If you recall, what did it look like to you? It's a wobble. But in this level of competition, a wobble Mm -hmm. is everything. Mm -hmm. Exactly. It's really super minor. It's a wobble, but it's there. It's like um, the way that we judge like cooking shows, even though we could never (laughs) perform at that level. It's like, oh my God, I can't believe you use ginger instead of cinnamon. (laughs) They're fools. Whereas like I could never do that. And that's how it is watching ice skating too, is the fact that you can even do a double axle it's such a minor thing the fact that he even is still standing after doing a double axle is so impressive but as a armchair expert i'm like oh my god did you see how (laughs) he landed that double axle and so it is obvious well and i mean you're comparing people who are at this a certain level right? right so you're comparing you have to compare it to other people that are doing those same moves and not wobbling right so exactly and so while it's minor it is obvious you can see it other than that the rest of the performance was great but like you just said even something that minor could be pretty major in the olympics Mm -hmm. paul martini a cbc commentator said that you could tell of their performance that quote they were skating to not make a mistake when you're supposed to be skating to win. Yeah. Unquote. That kind of l- lends itself to, okay, they landed all their things, maybe mm-hmm. with a bit of a wobble. They did all those components, but then the performance yeah. was maybe not all there. It was great. They did fantastic, but did they do extraordinary? Yeah. It maybe didn't look as fluid. Yeah. They're, yeah, exactly. And that goes to the subjectiveness, I think, of creative arts in general. Yeah. Jamie and David, on the other hand, absolutely killed it during their long program murdered it they murdered it (laughs) as they had learned in the past their love story routine played really well with the audience it's a recognizable song it's a very romantic and humble piece and the audience really loved it 
they performed an absolutely flawless routine. And you can see that they know it at the end of the routine. They literally fall down to the ice. They're crying and screaming and cheering at the end, knowing that they had just performed the best skate of their lives. Mm -hmm. And it was at no other setting than at the Olympic Games. I can't even imagine what that feeling is. That gives me goosebumps to even think about that. I know. I do think that it's worth noting that since this is a critique that did come up later was that although it was a flawless performance, some have said that it was a technically less difficult performance overall than that of the Russian team. I think you and I have already kind of said this a little bit. It's a performance that they've done a million times already. Yes, for four years now, right? 99, 2000, 2001, 2002. Right, yeah. Right. Other people have already seen it before. It's, It's nothing new or fresh. And this is something that... Again, I know that skating and dancing are not perfect uh, comparisons, but I do think there are comparisons. And this is something that I kind of struggle with thinking about um, having been in the dance world for so long. If I were judging a routine with 14 consecutive fuete turns and the dancer fell out of the last one versus a routine where the biggest move the dancer did was a double pirouette, but she executed it cleanly and perfectly. I don't know. How do you judge that? No, it's really hard. It's really hard. I I don't know how to judge that. Yeah, because the... The falling out of the very difficult moves, it's sta- it's like it takes you back. You go, ooh, yeah. it gives you the icky yeah. feeling. But then do you judge an amazing performance on two seconds? Yeah. Two bad seconds mm-hmm. versus this was a four minute long perfect routine. It's so difficult. This is why the new system, which I know we're going to get into, Definitely. is much, much better yeah. <laughs> in my opinion. Definitely. Yeah. Now, initially, things looked okay for the Canadian team with their technical scores um, showing that they had ranked all 5.8s and 5.9s. But then came the presentation scores. While all were 5.8s and 5.9s, which are great, Mm -hmm. it was more 5.8s than the Russian team received. Mm -hmm. The Canadian team would receive four 5.9 scores. The Russians would receive seven. Instantly, the crowd started booing. Which, keep in mind, this is a very Western crowd, and the Canadian team was the one that they wanted to win at this point. Yeah. But even commentators were very vocally saying on television, what is going on? Like, something is not right here. Yeah. Instantly, people's minds went to cheating. They looked to the judges to see what had happened. The judges from the People's Republic of China, Ukraine, Poland, Russia, and France had all voted Russia for gold, whereas the judges from the United States, Canada, Japan, and Germany all selected Canada for gold. It was typical for the majority of these judges to vote the way that they did based on style and allegiances, but France was the one exception. The French judge immediately had people looking at her suspiciously. Her name was Marie-Ren Laguni. That's the best I got, guys. I'm sorry. That's the best I could do with her <laughs> oh, French name. That was good. Okay. Marie-Laine Leguigny. Thank you. <laughs> and she was a very interesting figure. I mean, if you even just look at a picture of her, you'll see how eye-catching she is. I do have a picture of her for us to look at. I know you already know what she looks like. I just remember during the um, documentary we were watching, mm-hmm. them being like, I get it. Like a a judge like this is usually like old white guys. Yeah. She is eye catching in that she's younger. Yep. She is she's attractive mm-hmm. looking. Mm-hmm. And she's wearing these like fur lined coats. Yeah. And like very stylish. Very stylish. Like very of the time period, like on trend. Yeah. And so not only was she the swing vote in this instance mm-hmm. um, leading up to this event, but then she's also like this very enrapturing. Yeah. Is that a word? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it works for me. Okay. I get it. Figure. Mm-hmm. 
I think that you described her perfectly because, yeah, she was already going to grab attention because she was the swing boat. Mm-hmm. But she made sure she grabbed some attention. Oh, yeah. Whether it was intentional or not on her part, maybe it's just her style. Yeah. But her style is very attention grabbing. Yeah. And I will say even like her interviews that are happening like, you know, more now mm-hmm. instead mm-hmm. of back then. Yeah. She's very attention grabbing is a good she way to is. describe it. It's like very clearly wants that spotlight. Definitely. Yeah. I, I think that... I mean, in addition to what we're just about to get into, all of those things are kind of what led so many eyes to look at her. Yeah. Things got even more interesting when, after the competition, Sally Stapleford, the chair of the International Skating Union's Technical Committee, approached her and demanded to know why she had voted the way that she did. Marie Wren instantly blurted out that the voting had been rigged and that she had been told by the head of the French National Skating Federation that she had to vote gold for Russia. It was all part of an agreement. If France voted for Russia in the pair skating event, Russia would vote for France in the upcoming ice dance event. The following day, Marie Wren shared this same story at the post-event judges meeting, a meeting that is held the day after an event where the judges have to defend their marks. Marie Wren's story wouldn't last for long, though. She would end up retracting the statement and saying in a signed document that she had nothing to do with any of this rigging of the votes and that she had given the gold to the Russian team because they truly deserved it. I want to hear your opinion on this, too, because we watched the documentary together. Right. In my view, in my, my perception of her in watching this documentary, she's a very complex person and right. someone that is not very easy to come to terms with. She comes across as incredibly inconsistent and untrustworthy. Yes. Telling different stories every other minute. Yes. But she also did come across in some ways to me as kind of sympathetic. Like I felt bad for her at moments. The blame was put on her for this outrage, whether it be founded or not. Mm -hmm. And she really took a lot of heat and public humiliation for it. Yeah. No, I agree with you. I found her to be not necessarily a trustworthy Mm -hmm. person, mostly, mostly because of she changed she changed what she was saying yes she, she was she's crying at both when she's meeting with stapleford stapleford uh-huh. and then again at the um review yep she's crying saying you know she was forced to do this and then all of a sudden she flips we obviously don't know yeah. what went behind that yeah she could have been threatened uh-huh. she could have you know something could have happened so there may be a reason behind it mm-hmm. but i do she did flip so she yeah. comes off as un- inconsistent and untrustworthy she does because even in this more recent documentary when they ask her like so did you not say it she's point? like i don't remember yeah exactly she's that. like i may have but i don't recall or something like it's yeah. very it's a very weird vague response where it's like not fully acknowledging she's like i don't know what i said but also not fully denying yeah uh, yeah i probably did say that but you know i don't know i don't yeah. recall i don't know why i would say yeah, that yeah exactly <laughs> thanks for being so unhelpful yeah <laughs> in an attempt to remedy the situation the president of the internet National Skating Union held a press conference the day after the competition and stated that the ISU would conduct an investigation into the way the competition had been judged. It's difficult to say what result would come from something like this. Were they going to strip the gold away from the Russian team? There was no precedent for something like that. In the history of the Olympics, results had never been overturned with the exception of times when a doping scandal had occurred. Right. The couples and the world at large didn't have to wait long to hear the decision that officials had come to. Roughly a week after the announcement of the investigation, the ISU president made another announcement that they were going to do something that had never been done in Olympic history. 
While the Russian couple would be allowed to keep their gold medals, the International Skating Union and the International Olympic Committee decided to also give the Canadian couple gold as well. Oh, God. Yeah. So there had already been an award ceremony, you know, the, the night of the original competition. Right. And it's like... Really uncomfortable to watch. It's so uncomfortable to watch. Right. The Canadian girl is just like crying. Sobbing. Because they got silver, right? They got second place. Standing on the podium while the Russian anthem is playing. Just crying. Sobbing. Like, and and it's uncomfortable. I can't, I can't speak to like what I would do in that situation. I will never be be there. But she, but she's doing it in like a, she's smiling. I'm grateful to be here. Thank you for a silver medal. Yeah. But then sobbing because she's not standing on the first place podium. Podium. yeah yeah for sure it's uncomfortable. uncomfortable is a perfect word to describe it <laughs> yeah. so after they make this decision that both pairs are going to get the gold they hold the award ceremony once again uh now with the russian couple and the canadian couple both taking the first place podium if you look at pictures of this event, um, you'll see that the Chinese couple that had won bronze are absent. Remember, we made a comment about that. We're like, where the heck are they? I guess they were invited to attend this secondary awards ceremony, but they were like, no thanks. Well, it's like, why would I stand on the <laughs> same place that I was before? Again, yeah, like, this isn't for me. Right. I'm, I'm good. Yeah. I'm good, thanks. Yeah. Also, even more uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. So uncomfortable. So in this one, they both are standing on the gold's podium like both couples Mm -hmm. and it's just it's so uncomfortable (sighs) nobody wants to be it like nobody wants to be there the canadians are like great thanks yeah and and i've been in that position many unfortunately many times in my life where something exciting happens but because of all this drama and everything that surrounds it yeah it steals the joy yeah and then the russians are there like taken away a little bit yeah. of what they what they felt they had and and it's not their fault they didn't judge themselves they didn't put themselves right. in first place and that's something we kept i i remember mm-hmm. i kept saying multiple times throughout the thing is like it's not anton's fault you know yeah, what i yeah, mean yeah. like everybody seemed kind of upset with them or mad at them and i'm like they didn't they, yeah. they didn't judge the competition there, there was even this press conference shortly after they won gold where the media asks them the russian couple do you agree that the performance that you put out there was a gold medal earning performance and it's like yeah yeah but yeah i do i feel like i did my best i feel like we're at the level of olympic gold also you (laughs) also (laughs) you but also i didn't choose that for myself i didn't choose myself to get gold yeah it's not their fault right if you're gonna blame anyone blame blame the system blame the system bring down the system (laughs) speaking of bringing down the system we're gonna talk about that shortly following the scandal both marie wren and the person she initially stated had forced her to vote the way that she did the head of the french national skating federation were both suspended for three years Mm mm-hmm Additionally, as a result of this scandal, the 6.0 system was officially gotten rid of. Now skaters are judged on a more technical scale with discernible, consistent mathematical marks. They've done what they can to take out as much of the subjectivity in the sport as possible. Yeah. So now it's like you start with like zero, zero. Mm-hmm. And it's like if you land a double axle, you get this many points. Yes. If you do this, you get this many points. Mm-hmm. So it adds up all of the aspects and components of your piece. And and that tallies up to your final mark. Yes. And I can see that being way more fair when you are judging multiple people against one another because mm-hmm. you're not necessarily comparing them to one another. You're looking at a person as an individual yeah and at the end just seeing how the math ends up lining up right 
So where are all of these couples now? Mm -hmm. Elena and Anton did develop a romantic relationship while skating together. And while no longer romantic, they remain close friends with Elena even naming Anton as the godfather of her son. While they are both retired from competitive skating, they have stayed involved in the sport by touring with Stars on Ice and coaching. Jamie and David also developed a romantic relationship while skating together. They were even married for roughly five years and share a son together. They too have remained involved in the skating world with appearances as commentators for the ice skating events and performing in the Battle of the Blades. Other than that, Jamie has kept busy tweet, tweet, tweeting away fake news (laughs) articles about COVID, face masks, vaccines, and more. (laughs) Yay! Yay! Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Hashtag History. We will share the picture that we discussed on the episode to our Instagram and all sources used to put together this episode can be found on our website, which is hashtag history-pod.com. Subscribe to us on whatever podcast platform you use, share about us with family and friends, and then give us a rate and review. And be sure to check us out on our socials. We're on Instagram at hashtag history underscore podcast. And we're also on TikTok at hashtag history, all one word. And I feel comfortable and confident saying that because we're putting some videos up there now. There have been at least one video a week. More on there in the last like month than year. Right. Impressive, really. Really. And come join us over on Patreon where for as little as $1 a month, you can help support our books and booze supply. You also get access to some behind-the-scenes content, weekly hashtag hangout episodes, an automatic 15% off all merchandise, and we mail you cards and stickers. So good. It's so good. Stunning. <laughs> oh, stunning. It's all stunning. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Oh, stunning. <laughs> let's fisty. Fist, fitzy. Let's, let's fitzy. Let's fitzy. That's a good way to spell first. <laughs> Oh. oh my god, that would get picked up. Yeah. That was nice and loud. <laughs> those are all those little. Yeah. <laughs> <coughs> swallowed a chip. Oh. <coughs> it's good. Water. <laughs> no, I'm good. I'll just swallow it back with my saliva. <laughs> <laughs> Remarkably, only. Remark- Did I say that weird? <laughs> Sally Stapleford. Ugh. Sally Stapleford, the chair. Why did I say that word? Did it sound okay? No, the second time it was great. The second time. The second time it was great. <laughs>